You're listening to Your Sales MBA with Cece Aparo and Jeff Hoffman. To you, this is your new home. To your seller, this is their home. Not only is it their home and all of the emotional attachments you have to your home, they have to theirs, but they're giving it up to another family. Then it psychologically is going to have an impact on that family that's selling the house. On top of it, just they're overwhelming the only real source of net worth that this person has, the seller has, is in the equity of their home. All right, we're back. Season two of Your Sales MBA. Summer's over, which is kind of sad. It's nice to look at you. Instead of doing this on the phone. This I is know, so much right? better. It's yeah. so much better. We can actually have a conversation now yes. and react like yes. we would in real life. Yeah. This is what we were trying to portray, but not do. My summer was good. Thanks for asking. It was awesome. Yeah. It's you my... had a very exciting summer. I did. I saw a lot of concerts. You did? What was mm-hmm. your top one? My top one? Probably Dead and Company. I just I think it's so weird that you like them, but like Why? I get it. I mean, it's <laughs> you. You are Dead and Company, but... <laughs> That's not a comment on your age, by the way, but uh, <laughs> it's just so weird But it was to me. great, you know? I mean, it was fun. Got to hang out with my kids a lot. Went to the beach. Busy with work as always, but I just love the summer, especially in Boston. But you had your first summer with your new one. I did. It was awesome. I, but summer with a baby is very different than summer without one. The beach is no longer like a pleasant, let's just sit on the beach and have a beer and well, hang out. It's like you're schlepping shit down the beach yep, to get yep, there. Yeah. You set everything up and then you're taking it down within 10 minutes to get your kid who's crying off the beach out of the hot sun. It's like a whole production. So I'm an afternoon beach person. That's one of the reasons. I don't go to the beach until like two, three o'clock usually. But isn't the sand hot on your toes? No, when it's you're perfect. Down? And there's no one there and it's cool and comfortable. And actually, we're talking about the summer. So my wife and I, we bought a home, a summer home. This is huge. Where we always summer. Yeah. And yeah, it's huge. And that's definitely been the highlight of the summer, but also full of anxiety. And we were talking about this and thought it'd be a good way to kick off the podcast. I think you're right. Let's tell people how to buy a house. Well, I don't know if I can tell people how to buy a house because my entire life, I've I've bought four. So I don't, my my experience is fairly limited. I know, but you actually have really good ideas about this because we were I was thinking back when we were talking about this, my first day when I started working for you officially, I was here and I was closing on my house and I was all stressed out and we were talking about realtors and how do you pick a realtor and you had some very clear cut advice on the type of realtor that you would pick. Yeah. So, you know, in 2019, we can all kind of enjoy what the internet gives us as far as research. We can look at MLS, we can find out comparable home purchases and square footage and tax tax histories, et cetera, et cetera. So then you start asking, why do you even need a broker at 6%? And that's a fair question. But my belief is if you're going to be you know, buying a home, which is, it's the most expensive purchase you'll ever make. We know that. But if you just multiply the cost of that home by three, that's kind of what you're going to spend out of pocket on the course of a mortgage. It's terrifyingly large. Me, I like to get the older kind of community guy or woman who's been in that town for 50 years, who has <laughs> sold and bought bought or knows the owners of going back three decades on every home in your community. So when they say things like, you don't want that house, that it actually has real meaning. It won't show up on a listing sheet, but she knows that they've had flooding in that house for a number of yep. years or whatever. That's what I want. I want someone who's deeply, deeply rooted in the community when I, when I hire a broker. That's the first thing I look for. I look for other things too. 
It's so funny. I buying a house was one of the weirdest experiences of my life. I've never been it's like emotional and it's stressful and it's weird. And as someone who teaches people how to sell for a living, I've never thought about the other side really in terms of a purchase that big. Like how you behave when you walk into a house. I I mean, I don't know, I sucked at it. Yeah. What what did you do? I show my hand immediately. Why is that necessarily a bad thing? I don't think it's a bad thing, but it's what we are fighting against as yeah. buyers. See, that's the thing. We, we think we're supposed to not share intent. We think we're supposed to say, you know, we're supposed to have this kind of ambivalent, eh, it's okay, kind of reaction to everything we looked at. That way, the kind of keeping the broker guessing on what we want. Well, if you think about it logically, that's a pretty poor way of buying something. Let me take the person who's helping me purchase something and not give them any indications of what I like <laughs> or dislike. And then what? I hope they find the right one. See, the, the, the funny thing is... The the, the difference is on 10000 or 20000 or 30000 or $40,000 on a home price in the course of a 30-year mortgage, do the math and you'll realize how little that matters. Um, so what, But what often happens with negotiations, we get so wrapped up in the fighting over the number back and forth that someone has to, quote, win and lose. You really want to take a step back and first remember the, buy, the seller first. To you, this is your new home. To your seller, this is their home. Not only is it their home and all of the emotional attachments you have to your home, they have to theirs, but they're giving it up to another family. Then it psychologically is going to have an impact on that family that's selling the house. On top of it, just they're overwhelming the only real source of, 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 of net worth that this person has, the seller has, is in the equity of their home. Right. So, not, so it's emotional because it's their house. It's also emotional because however they do on the sale of this house will be the biggest and only windfall of their lives. So all of these things combine to generally asking prices that may not be in line with what you think the house <laughs> is worth. <laughs> that is totally natural and typical. What most sellers, uh, buyers do is that when they see the house they want, they in their head think about the number they want to get to. Let's say the house that they're looking at. Let's say they don't want to spend more than $350,000 for a house. And they look at the house and they see this house for three seventy five. They know they want to get to 350 is the max. So what do they do? They offer three and a quarter, thinking that, well, between 325 and 375 is 350. And if we split the difference, I'll beat the price I want. So they say 325, thinking that's a good offer. Is that a good offer? No. That is a horrible offer. Horrible. A 325 offer on a 375 house. That's not good. You're not exactly. Well, then we get to that funny word, the insulting level of an offer. You know, how any offer would be insulting kind of bugs me because it's just a word. How is and, and at least they're offering to buy your house. No one else is. <laughs> so so I don't know about the insulting, but the fact that we use the word insulting kind of infers our emotional attachment. But you know what? If you ask someone, if someone's offering up their home at 375 and you've basically come at them with an 18% discount, don't be surprised if you if the response is three seventy five thousand dollars, not the twenty five thousand you had hoped, but five thousand, forcing because you have created a ceiling, excuse me, a floor too low, and that is my second piece of advice for people buying homes. First one is find a very seasoned real estate broker that with 20, 30 years of experience of selling in your neighborhood. Number two, make your first offer your best offer. I'll say that again. Make your first offer your best offer. Even if the buyer doesn't feel, seller doesn't feel it's your best offer, the broker will. The broker, when they get good offers, present them differently than bad offers. 
I mean, okay, I need to know. So I'm like dying over here. I need to know so much more about that. Yeah. So what is the broker's motivation? To get this deal done. What are they more incentivized by? High price or quick flip? Quick flip. Yep, that's right. Quick flip. So a offer on a newly listed home should be as close to listing as you can get if you want to buy it. Yeah. But if that home has been on the market for 30 or 60 days or more, you're thinking, oh, good, I can lowball this. You want to lowball it, if you want to lowball it, to the pro- to, to pretty much the price you are willing to settle it for, less a few thousand dollars. So if you, if that house is listed for three seventy five, and you would like to get it at three fifty, and that's the most you do, the proper offer is not three and a quarter; it's three forty or even three forty five. At three forty or three forty five, your floor is high enough so that when your broker presents it, look, we have an offer at three forty five. That's outrageous, says the seller. Well, look. They're less, they're only 8% off the listing price, less than 10% off of what we're asking for. I think we want to counter. I, this feels like a real opportunity. And then when they counter at five off, you went to 340, they went to 370. Well, guess what? You're going to be in that 350 range you want to be in. Boy, did I mess up buying my house. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, you but didn't because you got it. No, you but this it. is so interesting because we, and I mean, we do the same thing in sales as we do as buyers we think we're we're doing what we think is right and more often than not it's wrong yeah yeah i i think so i think our instincts definitely take us out i'll give you another thing i would suggest doing remove this is again for the buyer remove contingencies that don't affect the homeowner what does that mean like well it's okay to have contingencies on an offer that include things like inspections and whatever's required by the town or title searches that makes sense but as far as things like when you're going to sell your house or when you're going to get approved for a mortgage don't put those in your offers why because you're going to get those things anyway right and the seller has no control over those things and the removal of them makes it a cleaner offer and that cleaner offer is going to give more confidence particularly if there's multiple people bidding on the home. Um, So having a clean offer is always a good idea as well. I like it. All right. We actually, it was interesting, Jeff. Mm. We didn't pick this topic purposefully, but it kind of works out really well because I I learned something interesting Mm -hmm. about our listeners. We have a lot of listeners who are in the real estate world. Yep. So what's best practice for them? You live that world. You were in commercial real estate. Yeah, I was in commercial real estate. A lot of People who are selling houses are like, I want to get better at my sales craft. So, so let's, yeah. what what should they be doing? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I mean, number one, I mean, the, and any broker who's listening to this knows this, the, the, your sale is not in selling a house. Your sale, your sale is in getting listings. Right. I mean, who, I mean, you know, you, the houses will sell themselves or not, but, but the listings are the things that really, you know, fuel a, a top broker's earnings. How do you get those? I think they're the same traditional techniques that we use in other sales places, whether it's prospecting or networking or your, or your pitch. Yeah, we know we've been talking a lot about, you know, advice for those who are buying a home. But what about selling and hiring a broker and particularly for brokers on the on the podcast wondering about some kind of tricks from other sales industries that they can kind of steal? I'll give you a few. One is, you know, you really want to get your prospect physically engaged. Trying to uh, attempt to get a listing. The more things you can ask your prospect to give you or send you regarding that home via email or what have you, the better. Even if those things are things you can find on your own or fairly superfluous. If you get that homeowner to send you, I don't know, there's an addition on the home and they send you the floor plan and the square footage of this addition because they got it from the contractor. That might not seem like much, but having physical activity on the side of your potential listing customer 
is going to raise the likelihood that they deal with you. And the mortgage industry does this really, really well. At some point in your mortgage application, you're going to be signing a million papers and filling out a million disclosures. There's nothing worse. Yeah, nothing worse. And at some point <laughs> when you start doing it, if you find out that that rate is an eighth of a point higher than another bank, are you really going to hit eject and then start this all over again with another bank over an eighth of a point? Unlikely. So yeah, get them you know really, really committed in it and, and physically engaged. And then when you get that folks to see that home, you know, first, don't be so quick to like unlock the door yourself and turn the lights on and and do that kind of strange kind of, here's the kitchen. It's like, yeah, I know what a kitchen is. I'm, I'm standing <laughs> in it. I find that the most powerful brokers are the same ones that understand that all salespeople understand is that in the proof of concept stage, which whether that's a demo or a walk through an open house, you got to be quiet. You're going to learn more by the reaction of your prospect than you are by any silly or clever thing that comes out of your mouth about how close you are to the wonderful schools. You'll get to all that stuff. You want to see what they reach for. How? Where do they look for the lights? Where are they looking? Are they always looking in the fridge and in the oven? This might indicate someone who's really into cooking. And maybe you want to pay attention to that on how bright these kitchens are that you're showing them. Just watch people when they walk through a home. When people walk through a home, they're going to walk to the things they care the most about or have the most curiosity about. And if they walk past something, they walk past the sliding glass door to the back deck, quick pitching decks to them. They might be looking at other things in the home. So really pay attention to how a walkthrough plays out. I think that's so smart. It's so funny because you, not only are they walking through, because I remember doing this myself as a buyer, to the things I was interested in, but I was walking through the house like I would walk through the house if it were my own. And I acted like, okay, if I were to live here, how would I come in? Where would I put kids' backpacks down? All of that stuff that you're thinking about and maybe the things you hate about your own home. What are you looking at? Say like, I messed up last time. The shower's too small. So that's why I make my husband, who's 6'4", (laughs) get in every gross shower that's all along you know, the east side of Providence. That's so what we do now on yeah. Saturdays and Sundays. Yeah, so, so that's great. You know, don't, but, don't tell many people that. Yeah, well, that's, uh, well, you just told a lot. But, that, but that's good. I, I know Ben. You're looking a big for guy. us. Ben's in the shower <laughs> on Blackstone Boulevard. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's the truth. I think that's so true, though. And we feel like in sales, like at the demo stage or when you're showing a house, it's our time to shine. And it's our time to show everyone all the bright, shiny features that this house or this product has to offer. And it's really the time to shut up and listen and watch. Yeah, for sure. If you could do it all over again, what would you have done differently when you bought your house? Oh, my God, so much. First, I would have gone to look at the house together. This is the only house that Ben and I actually didn't look at together. And I'm not joking. He's a large man. So the way that we both stand in rooms, he fills up the space. So when I was walking through it by myself, it didn't feel that small. But once we were in it together, I realized how much smaller the footprint of the house was. That's one thing. The other thing is I wouldn't have been so emotional about it. I got to talk about hearing a lot of no's in sales. I heard a lot of no's in house hunting. It was a competitive market when we were buying tons of people moving to the neighborhoods we wanted and we were getting beat out in cash over asking and every loss was like losing a relative. It was like you just, I pictured myself in that house and I didn't, think about it as a business investment so much as as I did an emotional one. You know, the the that's that's interesting feedback. One thing I, I try to tell people too, and this is the only kind of sale that I can think of, unlike anything else, whether it's commercial or in consumer, it's really a market of one because every inventory, piece of inventory is unique. And every unique piece of inventory has only one owner. So that house, it is buying a house. You're buying the only one in the world like it. The only one on that position on the globe, the only one with that lot, the only one with that house. So 
at some point you have to recognize both this, particularly if the if you're the buyer, you've got your range, you do your comps, you do your research, and at the end of the day, you see the house you like, you buy it. You don't worry about how much it costs if it's in your range. So well, I paid ten grand too much. You pay thirty grand too much. Doesn't matter. Buy if you like it, buy it because if you like it, someone else does too. I you know it's so funny. I was having drinks with a friend the other day who's buying a house, and he said to me, while I'm looking at houses that seem way more expensive than I ever would have thought I would be looking at in my entire life, it's moments like these where I've made decisions that seem really scary that have pushed me to excel in other areas of my life. And I, I, he was like, I found this house and I love it and I want it. And so I'm going to make sure that I can live in it. That's awesome. I love that. That's awesome. So we are going to be doing more things like this, talking about real life. I think that's so much of what we talk about in sales applies to our real life. And we've mentioned it before in other podcasts, but we, everything that we do, we can take into the real world and you can take right back into the office with you on Monday. So uh, thanks so much for listening. Yeah. Happy selling everybody. Happy selling. Hi again, Cece here. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode of Your Sales MBA. If you want to make sure that you never miss an episode, don't forget to go on to iTunes or Google Play or Spotify, wherever you're listening to this and subscribe, rate and review as we love hearing from you. And if you want to get your sales questions answered, feel free to send it to us at podcast at sellhoffman.com. We'll see you next week. Happy selling. Oh, 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 o